That guy named Blake, full name Blake Hance, two-year contract, his reward for meeting his quarterback and then going out and protecting his quarterback. That's how the Browns had to get it done when they were diminished dramatically by COVID-19 in their playoff win over the Steelers. It's PFT PM, Monday edition. Shireen, let me be the last and maybe the first to publicly wish you a happy birthday. Thank you, Mike. And we're not the same age anymore, at least for the next three months. So I'll let you know how this age feels for for the next three months. And happy International Women's Day to all the trailblazers before me, Melissa Ludke and Christine Brennan and Leslie Visser and, and all the great women. I know I'm missing 100 names, but all those that paved the way for, for those like me who have followed in their footsteps. So happy International Women's Day. Absolutely. And I have three months to enjoy being <laughs> The younger of the two of us, just three months to the day. And I'm sure you'll remind me of it when that day comes around three months exactly from now. A lot's going to happen over the next three months. A lot's going to happen over the next three weeks in the NFL. The new league year begins in nine days. There's all sorts of stuff happening today. And let's begin, as we rarely do in Cincinnati, and no, this isn't about their uniform that was leaked on Sunday, although they should be happy. We were talking about the Bengals on a slow Sunday in March. That never has happened in my recollection of the past 50 years of following football. Now we're talking about a franchise quarterback, a true franchise quarterback that they drafted last year, first overall Joe Burrow. Here is Duke Tobin talking about the plan for building around the quarterback whose ACL is still in the process of being rehabbed to 100%. When I look at our team, I, I'm excited. I, I think we've got one of the uh, the premier best young quarterbacks in the game, and uh, and we're going to do everything we can to build around him and uh, give him the opportunity to really shine and show what he can do. And so it's going to start with him. Absolutely, it's going to start with him. Look, it worked out well for the Bengals, although, Shereem, I've said this a few times recently, and Bengals fans yeah. get upset about this. No. They could have taken what the Dolphins were offering. They could have gone to number five. They could have drafted Justin Herbert plus all the extra stuff, and they'd be in a better spot now than they than they are. But Joe Burrow is the real deal as well. They have to find a way to keep him healthy, and that begins with investing money and draft picks in improving the offensive line so he has time to set up and throw. That's how the injury happened. For as much as he runs, the injury happened because the pocket collapsed and he got hit low, and that was the end of his season. Yeah, that's exactly right, Mike. They need offensive linemen, they need them bad, and they need receivers. Frankly, A.J. Green's gone, we know, and you know he didn't have a good year anyway. So he needs improved weapons, and he needs an improved offensive line. And that doesn't mean just using that fifth overall draft pick on an offensive lineman or a receiver. It means going out in free agency. And that was Joe Burrow's big thing before the Bengals drafted him, is, is are you going to build a competitive team around me? We heard him say that over and over. And they did last season. They went out in, in free agency and, and did some things at free agency that improved them overall. They need to do more. They still need more people around him to make him a better quarterback. And they have the sixth most cap space right now, Mike. They need to spend that money and they need to draft wisely. And this will be a good team in the future. One thing the Bengals do far more often than the opposite, they trade down. They don't trade up, they trade down in the draft. And they may have an opportunity with that fifth pick, depending upon who's left at quarterback. And the thinking is that Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson will be gone one, two. Then comes the Mac Jones pick. If Jones is on the board at five, a great chance for the Bengals to take a step back, pick up some picks, do what they didn't do last year in sliding down and addressing more of their needs, more lottery tickets, more players, more people around Joe Burrow. And it's not going to be easy for them. We, we went back and forth last year, and I think you were Team AFC North. I was Team NFC West as to yeah. which division was better top to bottom. You could say going into 2021, if Burrow's healthy, the AFC North is the best division top to bottom, and it may be between the Bengals and the Steelers to see who's in third place, who's in fourth place. Yeah, and you look at the quarterbacks in that division, Mike, with Roethlisberger and, of course, Lamar Jackson, who won the MVP award a couple years ago, and Baker Mayfield. And this is a really good division, and I'm with you. I I think it's probably the West right now, but we don't know how that's going to play out and what's going to happen with Russell Wilson and all those sorts of things. 
So it, they've got to get good. They've got to get better than, than what they were with more talent around Joe Burrow if, if they're going to contend in that division any time in the next couple of years because it's a really good division with really good teams. So you need more players around Joe Burrow. And frankly, Mike, we don't know how that ACL is going to affect him either. You know, normally it takes players a couple years. That second year after the ACL is normally better than the first year after the ACL. And he's going to be right on the edge of getting back for the start of the season. So we'll see what kind of year he has. But to me, this is a building year for the Bengals. They just need to build on what they did last year. Take another step. I thought they took a step. Take another step this year. I don't see them as a playoff team, certainly this year, but they have a chance to take another step and let him get back and get that ACL right. In a weird sort of way, if the ACL isn't 100%, maybe it forces him to stay within the pocket more often, to stay within himself, to get rid of the ball faster, make decisions faster, make his reads faster, and not be... So, I don't want to say reckless, but more often than not, he was on the wrong side of reckless when it comes to the pounding he took. And he's not a big, thick guy. And I talked to him a couple of times about the hits he takes. He takes plenty of them, and he's fearless in that regard. Maybe if he has mobility that is limited in any way as he recovers from the torn ACL, he just gets rid of the ball faster, makes decisions faster, and positions himself better to avoid this kind of injury in the future because he clearly needs to do that. It's not sustainable to take the pounding that he took last year. And I think we were also caught up in how well he was playing. You know, you don't want to wag your finger at a guy right out of the gates who is amazing and astounding us with his overall physical feats. But look, we say it about Jimmy Garoppolo all the time, and I think it's fair to say it about Joe Burrow. You have an obligation to the team to stay healthy, and that means avoid hits. It's basic science. The more hits you take, the greater the likelihood you're going to get injured. So reduce the number of hits, reduce the chance of getting injured. That's what he needs to learn from what happened last year. Yeah, that's exactly right, Mike. That Maybe this teaches him more to stay in the pocket with that ACL, especially early in the season. And he's capable of doing that. It's not like this guy needs to get outside the pocket to be successful. I mean, we know he can stay in the pocket and be successful. We saw it at LSU. We saw it last season. It would have been real interesting, Mike, if he had stayed healthy all the way through because halfway through the season we were talking about him as probably offensive rookie of the year, and then Justin Herbert just took off. But I would have liked to have seen him stay healthy the whole year long and see how that uh, offensive rookie of the year race would have come down to the wire because I think it would have. I think Joe Burrow would have stayed in that race, and the Bengals probably would have won at least a couple more games. Burrow was the wire-to-wire starter last year, the only incoming quarterback who had that distinction, of course, until he got injured, but he was the week one. Let me say that. Let me let me clean up my mess here. He wasn't wire-to-wire. Yeah. He was week one <laughs> starter. Justin Herbert caught up with him, and he carried it through to the end of the season. Other quarterbacks drafted last year. Some got on the field. Some didn't. Jake Luton ended up playing for the Jaguars. Some Ben DiNucci had that very memorable or forgettable. (laughs) One of the two words is appropriate. Start for the Cowboys. And then there's Jalen Hurts, who became the starter after 12 games last year because Carson Wentz was benched. And now the Eagles. Remember, after they reached the deal to trade Carson Wentz to Indianapolis, what we heard was the Eagles are still looking. They're still looking for another quarterback. They want competition. The Eagles, very well documented as a team that views the backup quarterback position as a top 15 spot on the total roster. Now, courtesy of Chris Mortensen of ESPN, the notion that Jeffrey Lurie wants to support Jalen Hurts in 2021, not create competition. And that is a very subtle but important distinction when it comes to finding a backup quarterback because there's two kinds of backups, Shereen. There's the backup who knows he's the backup. And who knows his job is to support and teach and help the starter. Then there's the backup who has license to compete fully and completely. And if he ultimately can push the starter to the bench, so be it. Now, I remember Matt Hasselbeck used to say when he was backing up Andrew Luck, his attitude was to try to create a sense of competition with Andrew Luck, even though no one thought that there was actual competition. So there's different ways you support the starter, but it sounds more like The Eagles are going to be looking for a number two who is more of a support person, which points to Super Bowl 52 MVP, in my mind, Nick Foles, being the guy who is on the roster with Hurts because he won't try to topple Hurts. He will be available in the event that Hurts gets injured and they need someone to come in. So he fills that role of backup quarterback who can get it done if need be, but they can support Jalen Hurts and help him become the best quarterback that he possibly will be in the NFL. 
Yeah, you said Foles all along, Mike, and it does make a lot of sense, right, for him to come back there. I mean, he we've decided that he's never going to be a full-time starter in the NFL. I mean, most games he's ever started in his season is 11, but he's a great backup, one of the best backups in NFL history. And if Jalen Hurts struggles or gets hurt or whatever, he is perfect to go in there. And he's also going to have a relationship with Jalen Hurts, even as he backs up Jalen Hurts. I mean, we saw it. With him, with Carson Wentz, we did not see that Carson Wentz with Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts talked about that with Adam Schefter uh, this week about how they they really didn't have that relationship uh, that that perhaps Carson Wentz had with Nick Foles because Nick Foles knows his place, right? So he does make perfect sense there, and he's not going to come in and push Jalen Hurts, but he is going to come in and make Jalen Hurts a better quarterback. I'm just not positive, Mike, that I've seen enough from Jalen Hurts to know he's their guy, and maybe that's what they're trying to figure out. Maybe they've decided with all their salary cap problems, we can't contend. We can contend in the division. There's no question about that. It's a bad division. We know that. But we can't contend for a Super Bowl right now, so let's go see what we have in Jalen Hurts this season and prepare to come back in 2022 when the salary cap is more. We have this high pick we can go use to get some weapons around him or whatever we deem we need to use those high picks on. But let's go get help for Jalen Hurts and see what we have in him. But it it almost reminds me of the Drew Locke situation. I mean, they started almost the same amount of games, and we thought Locke had shown enough to be the guy, and it turns out he he didn't this year show that he was the guy. So I want to see more from Jalen Hurts, and maybe that's what the Eagles are waiting on, to see more from Jalen Hurts, Mike. And let's not be naive either. They are at number six in the draft. And to the extent that they are thinking about using that sixth overall pick on a quarterback, it is in their interest to create the impression that they're not. And no one, trust me, if the Eagles go quarterback at number six, no one, maybe I will now that I'm thinking of it, is going to dust off Chris Mortensen's report from today and give it the same kind of 11 of 12 attention that a report of his got six years ago and say, he's wrong. They were looking for another quarterback. But that's the thing. If you are thinking about a quarterback there, you need to get people to think you aren't because then when it's time for the Bengals to tie these two together to trade down from number five, You're more likely to get the Bengals' attention and get someone to jump up because you know you need to get up in front of the Philadelphia Eagles to get a quarterback, depending upon who's left at that five spot. So, yeah, we don't want a quarterback. We don't want a quarterback. We don't want a quarterback. And then maybe the rest of the league will think they're not looking quarterback at sixth overall. It would be naive and foolish to rule that out because of the way the draft works. But let's assume it's the truth. Let's assume they're all in with Jalen Hurts. I agree with you. I don't think there's enough evidence yet to know what he's going to be. And one of the problems last year, he started so late in the year. There wasn't enough film to give defenses a full understanding of who he is, what he is, what he does, what he doesn't do, how to properly defend against him. And now this year with a new offense, and I don't know how much the Nick Sirianni offense is going to be similar to or different from what Doug Peterson did, but it's going to take some time to get the film to understand how are they using him where are the weaknesses how can we deplore our 11 to match their 11 based upon the things that number two does that may take into october and then you have a ceiling that gets positioned over that offense gets positioned over jalen hurts and nick sirianni when the defense has the film that's when we're going to find out whether or not jalen hurts can bust through that ceiling or whether or not they found a way to crack the code and the eagles can't figure out how to counter what defenses have figured out how to do One thing, Mike, they need to figure out how to, if they're truly going to build around Jalen Hurts, how to get get him more weapons. Because I am curious, Carson Wentz's regression, how much of that was the fact that he just didn't have any weapons around him? I mean, when I look at that offense and I saw those receivers and those running back, there was nobody on that offense that scared me whatsoever. We know they had all the injuries to the offensive line. He had no protection last year. So all those things really added up for Carson Wentz. And then you're right, Jalen Hurts. Hurts came in late and he had those same problems so you've got to get some weapons around him but let's go back to your point about the draft I just think if you judge these quarterbacks and you deem one of those guys to be a franchise quarterback I just think you have to draft him there you're you're unsure about Jalen Hurts draft the guy let Jalen Hurts start off the season you can always trade him but I go back to what the Lions did last year with that third overall pick 
They had a chance to get Justin Herbert, and they didn't do it. And now they have a new quarterback, Jared Goff, who we know is not as good as Justin Herbert because they traded Matthew Stafford. And I think they would have been better off if they had used that third overall pick on Justin Herbert. Today, they would be better off than where they are now. And so I just think if you deem one of those guys to truly be special and he's there, I just think you have to draft, Mike, draft the quarterback. All I know is the Eagles understand very well how the media works. They understand the concept of the long con, and it would be a long con indeed to start planning the notion now that they are not thinking about a quarterback with that sixth overall pick. Have it take root. Let it become an accepted narrative. And then as teams are trying to decide on draft night where they need to go to get Mac Jones or Zach Wilson or whoever, even if Aggie great Kellen Mond continues his meteoric rise fueled by Chris Sims into the top 10, whatever it's going to take, if teams are looking at those picks and they scratch the Eagles off as a potential quarterback destination at six, that is mission accomplished. And that gives the Eagles the flexibility to have a guy fall to them that they possibly would take. And then they say, well, you know, we weren't planning to take a quarterback, but they basically can dust off everything they said last year about Jalen Hurts. Well, we weren't planning to draft Jalen Hurts, but the best available player was the quarterback, and that's what we always do. And pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. All of the lies that we told back in March don't matter now because we got the guy that we ultimately wanted, and we didn't have to worry about someone jumping us to get him. So we've seen that before. We've seen it time and time again, how things play out differently than what we're led to believe. There's a strategic element here that is very important and I think some teams understand it better than others I think the Eagles understand it as well as anyone let's go to the other side of the state one of the reasons why the Eagles have substandard weapons they used a first round pick last year on Jalen Rieger when Justin Jefferson was on the board when Brandon Ayuk was on the board when Chase Claypool was on the board. Of course, he was on the board a lot longer after that pick that the Eagles used to get Jalen Rieger. Claypool was great last year for the Steelers, and it confounded me why they didn't use him more often. I had this weird hypothesis that at some point he didn't properly kiss Ben Roethlisberger's butt, and that made Roethlisberger not throw the ball as much to him as maybe he would. Also, Claypool wasn't getting the kind of reps you would think a guy like that should get. When he becomes a guy who commands double coverage, you get him out on the field as much as you possibly can. Something wasn't right there. And anytime, and and, and this is more of a, a way to peel back that curtain and understand what a team may be thinking. Anytime there are items on a team-owned website, you know, Steelers.com isn't some independently owned operation that licenses the name from the team. It's owned and operated by the Steelers. The people who write for the website are employed by the Steelers. If they win the Super Bowl, those people get rings. They are employees of the team. So the same strategic motivations that people in football operations have, to some extent, they necessarily trickle over to the people who work for the website. And that's all important because Bob Labriola, who is the editor-in-chief or whatever the title would be, he's the guy in charge of Steelers.com, employed by the team. He characterized Chase Claypool as having an increasing diva quotient as the year went on and basically sounded a, a soft alarm that they need to see how that plays out. Well, they, they saw it played out with Antonio Brown. He became one of the best receivers in the league, and he had a diva quotient that was off the charts. And last year, they basically ignored everything Juju Smith-Schuster did to rile up opponents until it was too late. So I don't know what this is. I didn't see anything from Claypool last year that would cause me to think he's on some sort of a road to ruin like Antonio Brown embarked on once he became a star player. So I don't get it, but it tells me if it's showing up on Steelers.com, Someone in that organization believes it, Shireen. Oh, absolutely, Mike. And we don't know who that is, but there is absolutely someone who believes it or it wouldn't be on their website. But nobody knows a diva receiver like the Steelers know a diva receiver. And they've had him and they've had him over the years and they've played really well for him. So, you know, they'll make this work with Chase Claypool. And maybe this is a wake up call for him because I guarantee you he's seen it, whether he's seen it on our side or he's seen it on their side or his mom sent it to him or whatever. 
Somebody has told him, hey, the Steelers see you as a diva receiver, and there may have been phone calls made today or whatever, but I guarantee you he's seen it. And maybe that was, maybe that was the goal, for him to see this and, and react like they want him to react uh, going forward. But they need some help around him. He does, to me, look like a number one receiver. We never saw Juju ascend to that number one receiver. Juju was at his best when he had A.B. on the other side. So Chase Claypool, we're going to find out probably if he's the guy. He's probably going to go into next season as their number one receiver. So Diva or no Diva, he's probably going to be their guy next season, and they need him to play well. Bottom line, Juju Smith-Schuster isn't fast enough to take the top off of a defense. That is one of the skills that you must have to be a number one receiver. That's how you attract double coverage, when you're a guy who can run by everyone. And I remember two years ago when the Steelers were embarking on the post-AB era and Juju Smith-Schuster starts saying, well, I'm working on my ability to stretch the field. You don't. You, you, you don't wake up one day and suddenly have the ability to stretch the field. You either come into the NFL with it or you don't. And it doesn't develop. So I, I think he's going to be gone. And the same article that I'm referring to from Steelers.com said it's unlikely Smith-Schuster is going to accept whatever the Steelers are able to pay him. That's not earth-shattering. But again, it's coming from the team. We can assume that unless Smith-Schuster finds nothing out there on the open market close to what he's looking for and decides to come back on a one-year deal because he wants to stay in Pittsburgh, and he's made the mistake of saying he wants to stay in Pittsburgh, you say that to the Steelers, and they're going to take advantage of that and lowball you. I doubt that he's going to be back, and again, they don't need him. They've got young guys. They know how to find more. And oh, by the way, something that I noticed in today's Football Morning in America, more great receivers flooding into the NFL via the draft this year. And there's an easy explanation for it, Shireen. Every year, every summer, every spring, every fall, seven on seven, seven on seven, all these quarterbacks getting better, throwing the ball. Somebody's catching the ball. And those guys are getting better and better, too. And they're getting more equipped for the NFL, more passing in college, more pro-style college offenses. The line is blurred. It's easier for these guys to come to the NFL. So you let Juju walk away. You go with who you have. And you use the compensatory pick you get for Juju Smith-Schuster next year on another receiver. Well, and I'm with you, Mike, and you know, we know how MDS feels about running backs. That's how I have felt about receivers over the last couple of years. I'm not paying a receiver big money. I don't like the contract the Cowboys gave to Amari Cooper when you drafted CeeDee Lamb, and I realize they gave him the contract before they drafted CeeDee Lamb, but now you have CeeDee Lamb and you have Michael Gallup, and I think Michael Gallup might be their best receiver on the Cowboys, and he was a third-round draft pick. So my point is, you can get great receivers, number one receivers in the second round, in the third round, in the fourth round, in the fifth round. We've seen it. These guys are good. They come out of college ready to play, ready to step in. I remember way back in, we were mesmerized by Randy Moss, his rookie season, because he had such a great rookie season. We're like, well, it always takes receivers a year to really adapt to the NFL game. It doesn't take a year anymore, Mike. They step right in as rookies, and they have great years. And we saw it with multiple receivers this year in particular with these rookies. So I am not spending big money on a receiver. Maybe for a three or four guy, you spend a little bit of money, and then you go get your number one or number two receiver in the draft because I think they're there. going to be interesting to see what Juju Smith-Schuster gets in free agency, and I guess there is a chance that maybe, just maybe, the guy that we've ranked at number 17 on the top 100 free agents, blame Shireen, she came up with it, not me, although I did. (laughs) I I, I did exercise my privilege to put a spoon in the stew just about as it was done. But, uh, hey, he may not get big money, and he may be, he may be, eventually saying, hey, can I come back for one more year and become a free agent next year? And I don't know what the Steelers would say to that. They'd have to do it on their terms because, again, they don't need him moving forward. They have too many guys who can get it done. The Seahawks maybe in advance of their desire to raise enough cap space both to absorb the Russell Wilson cap charge if traded and or absorbing a salary like, oh, I don't know, Khalil Mack if he comes to town as part of the Bears trade if that ever does happen Carlos Dunlap out not a surprise big cap savings Shireen for the Seattle Seahawks and I expect more of that from the Seahawks I expect more of it from other teams I've been resisting writing a story that basically says hey let's guess the biggest name that's going to end up getting fired by his team over the course of the next nine days it feels insensitive but it also is realistic and there will be I think At some point between now and 4 o'clock Eastern next Wednesday, someone, bigger name than Carlos Dunlap, that makes us say, holy crap, I can't believe that guy was released. 
Oh, I have no question, Mike. It's coming, and there's going to be an awful lot of these cuts. And you look at what the Seahawks have done over the last two years to try to find an edge rusher. I mean, they traded for Jadavion Clowney, and after one year, he leaves in free agency and goes to Tennessee. They, they have nine sacks in the first six games, so they decide this year, oh, we got to go trade for another edge rusher because we don't have one. And they go out and trade for this guy, and, and he was fourth on their team uh, in sacks this year, which is unbelievable. Jamal Adams led the team in, in sacks coming from the safety position and blitzing. So he ended up with five sacks and 15 quarterback hits. I think he's a good edge rusher. He should find a home somewhere else. I don't know if he gets what he thinks he's going to get on the free agent market. But I do think he's one of the, the premier edge rushers out there right now, Mike. And this leaves a huge hole with the Seahawks. They've got to find somebody, somehow, some way to rush the passer. It's not L.J. Collier, who they used the number one uh, first-round pick on a few years ago. They've got to find somebody who can rush the passer. And maybe it's another midseason trade again. This is, seems to be their M.O. They figure out they don't have anybody to rush the passer. And, hey, we got to go find one of these guys. But I'll tell you this. Let's assume Russell Wilson's on the team. If Russell Wilson's on the team... If that defense plays as poorly as they did for the first half of the season, they did come on and play better the second half of the season. But if they can't get to the quarterback better than what they did, they have zero chance to go to the Super Bowl to be a contender this year. Carlos Dunlap and his $10.1 million base salary gone. Khalil Mack has a $17 million base salary. I'd say for the extra $7 million, I'd take Mac if that becomes part of the trade package. And Sims and I were kind of fumbling through the cap numbers earlier today. I'm going to write something tonight if I remember, and there's a good chance I won't, about how easy it is for the Seahawks to put the cap space together, both to take the full $39 million that they'd have to take for trading Russell Wilson and to take the 17 that they'd take on if they pick up Khalil Mack, if it goes that way. I know Peter, what did Peter call it? He called it a futile pipe dream. Come on, Peter, let us have some fun with this. Don't poo-poo the possibility of Russell Wilson to the Bears because you know the Bears are going to try to do it. And if they see it as realistic, whatever they got to give up to make it happen, maybe they'll give it up. And as I said last week and the end of the week before that, if the Seahawks don't view Russell Wilson the way Russell Wilson views Russell Wilson and someone else does, the Seahawks are going to evaluate that trade offer and say, these people have lost their damn minds. They're offering this much for this guy that we don't think all that much of? Hell yeah, we're going to take that offer. So we'll see how that plays out. All right. The Raiders reportedly will release safety LaMarcus Joyner. Another salary cap move. Richie Incognito has been or will be released by the Raiders. But I want to go back to 2019. This was a point that Field Yates of ESPN made on Twitter today. Free agency and trade additions who got big money in 2019 from the Raiders. We had Joyner, four years, $42 million cut after two years with all of zero interceptions. Antonio Brown, three years, $50 million cut before the season began. Now, I don't remember the final result of the grievances, but they may not have paid him very much, if at all, of that money, given the way that he behaved and the, the paper trail that they put together to try to help themselves avoid owing him money. Tyrell Williams cut recently four years, 44 million. He had two years, 42 catches. Trent Brown, four years, 66 million signed in 2019, available in trade. Some are calling this an indictment of Mike Mayock, the team's general manager. You don't understand how things work in Las Vegas if you think this is Mayock's fault. Mayock's just doing what John Gruden's telling him to do, Shireen. This all comes back to John Gruden. And if we total it up, Again, I don't know how much money they actually spent on these guys, but it's possible they blew the $100 million, the same $100 million they're going to pay him over 10 years on his wave of free agents in 2019. Yeah, it so much reminds me of George Allen and what he used to do with Washington, right? I mean, he loved those veterans, and he would go out and get those veterans who were on their last legs. And John Gruden's just like that. You look at what he did in for the Oakland Raiders the first time he was there. You look at what he did with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers when they won the Super Bowl. Yes, it worked that year because Tony Dungy and Rich McKay had built the talent for that team, the pipeline. They had enough young talent then. But now you look at what he's done with, with these Raiders, and it's the same thing. They spend money on these, free, on these free agents who are very costly. They overspend, and they have to go in and cut them. You build around the draft, and they haven't drafted, frankly, very well either. They've blown a bunch of those draft picks, so they have to be better drafting and using their money more wisely than what they've used it so far. But, yes, this is firmly on John Gruden. This isn't on Mike Mayock. I mean, John Gruden is the guy there. He's the voice. He's the face. He has total control of that organization, Mike. 
I said this before as it relates to the Packers head coach and GM position, and I think it applies even more pointedly to John Gruden in Las Vegas and prior to that during the few years that they were in Oakland after he got hired. When you are the guy and you are going to continue to be the guy and your boss is never going to fire you, that takes off the table, that that fear-based motivation. And having that notion that you've got a chance of being held fully and completely accountable for your decisions and the consequences of those decisions, that causes you to be a lot more careful about your decisions before you make them. And I really do think that, that that's part of this. Gruden knows he's golden in the eyes of Mark Davis. He ain't firing him. So I make a few mistakes here, make a few mistakes there, make some bad decisions here, make some bad decisions there. So what? I ain't getting fired. You know, it's embarrassing, and you get criticized by people. And look at these numbers. Look at the defense. My God, what have they been doing with that defense in Las Vegas? But, Shereen, bottom line is Mark Davis ain't going to fire the guy. He can do whatever the hell he wants. And I think we all need a little bit of that, a little bit of that knowledge that if we screw up just enough, we aren't going to have a job. Yeah, well, he knows he's going to have a job, Mike, and I wonder how long they're going to give him to get this job done because they're no better right now than when he got there, Mike. Well, I made the point late last year that anybody else after the three seasons he had with the Raiders would be on the hot seat. We would at least be talking about the possibility he's going to be fired, and that's just not on the table. And I know that he gets upset when I say that. Oh, well, it's not like you're getting fired. Why are you upset? You're upset that people are noticing that you've got some sort of unlimited job security in Las Vegas? You're upset that we can see what's going on? Well, that's your problem, not mine. All right, real quickly, franchise tag deadline, a problem for the NFL? Maybe not. It's coming tomorrow at 4 o'clock Eastern, unless it isn't. It could be moved because they don't know what the salary cap is. And for most of these potential franchise tags, not Dak Prescott, because we know it's a 20% raise over last year, not Justin Simmons, same deal. But for the base first-year, first-time franchise tag guy, you need to know the salary cap before you need to know how much you're investing in using the franchise tender. Sounds like they may, they may wake up tomorrow and say, yeah, we probably shouldn't have this deadline come and go before we know what the salary cap's going to be, Shereen. Probably a very good idea, Mike, and it gives teams like the Cowboys more time to negotiate a contract, which it sounds like they probably need. Yeah, well, Sims and I had a long discussion about that earlier today. You can find the video at profootballtalk.com under the story in which I ask the important question, why is the question of how much is enough posed to players, but never posed to the owners who become the American version of the Russian oligarchs with billions of dollars and $250 million yachts. Let's take a break. We're going to take a ride on our yacht for the next couple of minutes. When we return, more news and notes and analysis of the things happening in the NFL today. We'll be back with more PFTPM right after this. J.J. Watt just went to the Cardinals. This is a big move. Uh-huh. Who's the best D-line now in the division? You already know that question, bro. You have been knowing that question, bro. It's all about consistency, dog. What the Rams been putting out. Not per se myself, but we all know who the real 9-9 is. That's, that's right, that's right. Yes, sir. <laughs> That's Michael Brockers walking through an airport speaking to TMZ recently. We know who the real 9-9 is, and he's referring to his teammate Aaron Donald, not J.J. Watt, and not Marshall Goldberg either. Aaron Donald, the real 9-9 in the division. So that raises the question, Shereen. Let's, let's ask this question with all due respect to J.J. Watt, who's a Hall of Famer, three-time Defensive Player of the Year. How many NFC West defensive players would you take right now over J.J. Watt. Let's begin with the Rams. There are two that stand out, and and I think we'll stipulate Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey. Either guy we'd take over J.J. Watt. Is there anyone else on that defense you'd take over J.J. Watt? Well, you know, I like Leonard Floyd, and he had a big year. He had a better year, frankly, than J.J. Watt did, and Michael Brockers. So I'd have to think about those two, but I think they rank right up there with J.J. Watt, if not better than J.J. Watt. I mean, this was, Mike, the number one overall defense in the NFL. They were good, and they're the reason they won the initial playoff game. It had nothing to do with Jared Goff. It had everything to do with that defense against the Seahawks. So I love this defense, and, and so I would probably take that defensive line over the Cardinals' defensive line. So I might throw those two guys in there at least with J.J. Watt, if not better than J.J. Watt. 
Floyd, one of four defensive starters for the Rams, scheduled for free agency next week. A lot of pass rushers, a surprising number of them eligible to become free agents on March 9. Seahawks, who would you say on that defense is better than J.J. Watt? I think we can agree on Jamal Adams. Who would you add beyond that list? Yeah. Short list. I would add Bobby Bobby Wagner because I I think he's still playing at that elite level. He's going to go to the Hall of Fame, too. I think we sometimes forget about him. Those are the only two guys on that defense. We know how bad that defense was last season. They were 32nd in, in the league for most of the season, for much of the season. They played better in the second half of the season. But I would put Bobby Wagner right now to this day as being better than J.J. Watt. Over the course of his career, yeah, I'm giving J.J. Watt. But right now, I think I'm ranking Bobby Wagner above J.J. Watt, Mike. Seahawks, another team with four defensive starters headed for free agency, led by K.J. Wright, who, if he was under contract, you could make the argument maybe he is at or past J.J. Watt's level right now. Uh, that would be something on which reasonable minds possibly could differ. All right, let's go San Francisco 49ers. Yes, Nick Bosa, beyond Bosa. Yeah. Who would we put on that list? Even Bosa with the injury. I think you go Fred Warner, right? I mean, Aaron Rodgers called him the best linebacker in football. It's really hard to argue with that. I'd certainly put him on there. And and I said if if the 49ers are going to make a trade with with anybody for a quarterback if they just get in the Deshaun Watson conversation if I'm Houston I want I want him I want Fred Warner on my team and I'm demanding him in that trade it's going to hurt to get him so he's a guy I would want uh, to trade for you know D Ford and Solomon Thomas both were hurt early last season D Ford played one game Solomon Thomas played two games perhaps if they hadn't been hurt early last year and we're coming off those injuries, Mike, I might throw them in there, but they are coming off injuries, so I probably wouldn't throw them in there. I'd probably just say Nick Bosa and Fred Warner. I agree with you on Warner and Bosa. Eric Armstead could make a case for it. He got the big He's contract yeah. after the trade of DeForest Buckner last year because they realized they couldn't pay both of them. Solomon Thomas, due to become a free agent. We talk about Bud Dupree all the time yeah. coming off of a torn ACL and becoming a free agent. Solomon Thomas in the same boat. Four other 49ers defensive starters. They have five altogether. Yes, four plus one is five. Uh, D- Jason Verrett, Jaquaski Tart, Richard Sherman, and Dante Johnson all becoming free agents in uh, just nine days. All right, the Arizona Cardinals, the team for which J.J. Watt will play. Chandler Jones, better than J.J. Watt. Who else on that defense would you say you'd rather have than J.J. Watt? I'd go Buda Baker, Mike. I, I think he's outstanding, one of the best safeties in the league, and I think he proved it this, this year. So both of those guys, and I think Chandler Jones right now in his career is better than J.J. Watt. A couple years ago when he had the huge year, I voted for him for Defensive Player of the Year. The Cardinals weren't very good, but I just thought he dominated. I thought he was fantastic, and that probably will make J.J. Watt a better player, but right now today Chandler Jones, even with his injury, is, is the better pass rusher. And by the way, I am counting seven, seven unrestricted free agents on that Cardinals defense as of nine days from now. Four more from the second string. That's 11 in all from their defensive core that are due to hit the open market. All right, Jimmy Garoppolo, Patriots reportedly have him as their plan A at quarterback. Shereen, look, that all hinges on whether or not the 49ers find someone they feel better about at the position than Jimmy Garoppolo. But one of the big factors, and I've been making this point for the past week, ever since we saw the report that Teddy Bridgewater potentially is a player in whom the 49ers have interest, Teddy at $17 million, Jimmy at $25 million. I think $25 million is too much, and that could be the thing that ends up causing the 49ers to find someone else and either cutting Jimmy Garoppolo or trading him to the Patriots with him taking less money moving forward. Yeah, it very well could happen, Mike. And and as you pointed out, John Lynch said, as I sit here today, Jimmy G is our starter, but we know how that plays out. As of today, he's their starter, but things can change in the next week, month, two months, however long, sometime before the season. I do think they're looking. I think they'll look and see if they can upgrade. I'm not sure Sam Darnold's an upgrade. I mean, I know we've heard his name a lot to the 49ers. I, I just don't know that he's an upgrade on Jimmy Garoppolo. To me, I I think if you can't find somebody better, and I don't know how many quarterbacks are better, certainly you want to get in on the Deshaun Watson uh, if he would take a trade to San Francisco. I'm in on that conversation if I'm the 49ers. 
But beyond that, maybe you play Jimmy Garoppolo this season. See if he can stay healthy. He's missed 23 games of the last three seasons. See if he can stay healthy and then try to find your quarterback in next year's draft if if that's the case or on free agency or whatever. But I, I don't like – I mean, I'm just – Sam Darnold, is he an upgrade, Mike? Do you think he's an upgrade on Jimmy Garoppolo? Well, I'll use an analysis that Washington engaged in several years ago when Kirk Cousins was in line for the second franchise tag. They tagged him the first year at just under $20 million. He got the 20% raise the next year. That was 2017. He was just under $24 million that year. And there was a feeling within the Washington organization that Dollar for dollar, Colt McCoy was better value at the quarterback position than Kirk Cousins. Why pay Cousins $24 million when you can have McCoy for $3 million? Because the bottom line is Cousins isn't eight times better than Colt McCoy. And yes, Your Honor, I am going somewhere with this. Because Sam Darnold <laughs> this year is due to make $4.7 million all in. So... He doesn't have to be as good as Jimmy Garoppolo. He just has to be 20% of Jimmy Garoppolo to justify it dollar for dollar. And I think this year especially with the salary cap shrinking, it's an imperative for all teams. And this is not easy to do. Disregard who he is. Disregard what he's done. Disregard how well you know him. And ask yourself, dollar for dollar, what's my better option? $25 million for Jimmy Garoppolo, $4.7 million for Sam Darnold, $17 million for Teddy Bridgewater if you can trade for him. And I really do think in a roundabout way that leaked interest in Teddy Bridgewater was about letting Garoppolo know $25 million is more than they can justify paying him this year because nobody, if he's a free agent, is paying Jimmy Garoppolo $25 million. We had the graphic up. He has 22 wins with the 49ers, and he's missed 23 games in the last three seasons. So I think that's what it's about. Dollar for dollar, can we do better? And the answer to that question is absolutely they can. Well, the problem, Mike, as I see it, is the 49ers know they went to the Super Bowl two years ago, and they have that vision again, and they think they can get back there again, and they think they can win it again. And whether they can or can't, we can debate that. But they think in their minds that they are a Super Bowl team. I guarantee you they think that. All we need is Jimmy Garoppolo to stay healthy, Nick Bosa to stay healthy, some of these guys to stay healthy. What, they have 14, 17 players, I think, on injured reserve last year after it ended up. So if they can get those players to stay healthy, they see themselves as a Super Bowl contender. They are a Super Bowl contender with Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't know that they're a Super Bowl contender with Sam Darnold. So so it depends on what really how they see their team and how they think they can go uh, this year because there's also going to be no offseason program probably again. So are you going to bring in a guy, a Teddy Bridgewater or Sam Darnold, to be your guy and not have any offseason and just jump into the season? I, I think you're not going to have a very good season, and I think the 49ers see themselves as a contender. The challenge for the 49ers is this, recognizing that Jimmy Garoppolo is not their long-term answer. So let's go ahead and make the change now. Even if it makes it harder to get to a Super Bowl this year, it puts us in better position next year than if we try to dog paddle this year with what we have. Because as you said, they need a lot of things that didn't go their way to go their way. And this year may be the midpoint between 2019, 2020. 2019, great. 2020, ass. 2021 may be in the middle. That's not a Super Bowl win. And I think the more they can plan for the future for the next quarterback, however they find him. And something Sims pointed out today, you can either try to get a better backup so you're protected against a Jimmy G injury. You can evaluate the quarterbacks and try to get your next guy at number 12. Maybe even trade up if you need to to get your next guy. But I still think they need to view the offseason, free agency, the draft and trade possibilities as a wide open canvas. They can get somebody they think is better and move on from Jimmy G anytime they want. Let's take a break. We're going to bust open the mailbag when PFTPM continues right after this. How about this? 47 years ago today, the Brady Bunch finale aired. Isn't that weird that it would have been in March? Usually it lasted until May. There's... Well, it was was high school graduation. Remember that one, Shereen? High school graduation. (laughs) And... 
Was that the finale when Bobby uh, did something with the uh, the hair, something, the shampoo that Greg was using, and it turned his hair orange for high school graduation? So uh, farewell, Brady Bunch, 47 years ago today. Uh, and uh, that was a, that was um, that was a fun show, and it's still floating around. And I still will admit that from time to time I'll watch a little Brady Bunch, Shereen. It, bring back, it brings back it brings back simpler now, times. Mike. Yes, it well, does. Uh, it? Good show. Yep, and uh, and uh, well, the the uh, the old Cindy Brady reference we make from time to time that no one gets when yeah. we do a trivia question and we freeze <laughs> up Cindy Brady when she was on the quiz show bragging about how great she was going to do, and as soon as they went on the air, the red light came on and she like that, Rose. like like Adam Gase at his introductory press conference. All right, PFT PM Posse mailbag. It's been 200 or more days since we've last heard from Jerry Jones. Is this a record, Shireen? When do you expect us to hear from him again? Now, we saw him buying wine at a 7-Eleven a few weeks ago, but we haven't heard from him. When are we going to hear from this guy? It's been forever, Mike. They're required to do a press conference with the GM, which he is the GM, before the draft. So I expect that week before the draft is the next time we'll hear from Jerry Jones. This absolutely is the longest he's ever gone without a press conference. I guarantee you. And I guarantee you he missed it. And I guarantee you he can't wait to talk. And when he does finally talk, that thing could go on for hours, Mike. Now, we do hear from him twice a week during the season on 105.3, the fan in Dallas. So he hasn't exactly been hiding under a rock. But I know from the Cowboys games that you attend, it's always appointment viewing and listening when he holds court with with reporters after the game and talks for 25 or 30 minutes. And we were without that this year because of the pandemic. Fred the Great, where is the best place for Vikings defensive end Daniil Hunter? What would they want in return? Look, I don't know that they're even going to trade him. I think the best place for him is Minnesota. They had no pass rush without him last year. Last year, he wasn't happy with his contract, and he had that tweak, as Mike Zimmer called it. Well, the tweak ended up knocking him out for the year because he had some sort of a disc issue in his neck. I just hope he's healthy for his sake, and he can get back to being the guy that he was. But I think once Joey Bosa got that $27 million per year contract, that's when Hunter got very upset with his deal that pays about half that. I don't know that the Vikings would even be comfortable adjusting it until they know he's healthy. I think the best thing for him to do now is reestablish himself and then hope the Vikings find a way to take care of him. And maybe they have a handshake, wink, wink, hey, show us in 2021 that you're healthy and we promise to redo your contract or trade you or make it work out for you after this season if we can't pay you. Because he showed, Mike, for two years there, he was one of the best edge rushers in football. He's still only 26. They try to trade this guy. They're going to get nothing for him right now. I mean, he's worth probably two first-rounders, but are you giving up two first-rounders to get him when he's coming off a neck injury? No, I don't think so. So the best place for him this year is Minnesota. Go prove it again, and then you'll get paid next year. Brad Dugan, 87, what are the chances the Panthers land Deshaun Watson or trade up for a quarterback in the draft? Look, I think whatever they do, David Tepper, the owner of the team, a man who is used to getting what he wants and has the money to get what he needs and then some, he wants a franchise quarterback, and he seems hell-bent, Shireen, on getting one. Deshaun Watson, a target, moving up in the draft, a target. Who knows how high they'd have to go, but he wants that guy who is going to be the transformational quarterback that leads that team into a future of being a contender year in and year out. He has his coach, he has his GM, and now he wants his quarterback. And I would not bet against David Tepper when it comes to a guy used to getting his way, getting his way, and getting a franchise quarterback somehow, some way this offseason. We know Deshaun Watson makes so much sense from the fact that he played at Clemson. Those fans would go ballistic. They would sell out that stadium. It would be great for Carolina. I don't know how Deshaun Watson feels about Carolina. He has the no-trade clause. And I just think that Houston's going to screw this thing up. So to me, the best course of action for Carolina is to evaluate these quarterbacks. And if you like one at eight, you take him. He's your guy. Or you just wait out the Texans. You assume they eventually are going to screw it up and realize too late what they could have done, and maybe you could get Deshaun Watson later. David Tepper has to at least be thinking of that possibility, that in failing to maximize the return they could get now for Deshaun Watson, if you're patient, there's an opportunity to swoop in and get Deshaun Watson later 
when maybe there's no one else who's in the running for Deshaun Watson. But you're right, Shereen, he's got to want to go to Carolina and waive his no-trade clause for that to occur. Uh, so, But either way, whoever it is, I think they're going to find a way to get a guy that they believe is a franchise quarterback. All Sports Global, if you were the Seahawks, Shereen, what would you want for a Russell Wilson trade? It'd take a lot, Mike, and it's going to hurt whoever trades for him. You know, we talked about Chicago. It's going to take Khalil Mack and at least two first-rounders, maybe three. I mean, he's that good that it's going to hurt you to trade for him, and you're going to have to figure out how to build around him without much draft capital. But it's going to take a lot, Mike. If you give me Khalil Mack, the 20th overall pick in the draft, and next year's first-rounder for the Bears – I think I take it. If I acknowledge the fact that at some point this ship is running aground with Russell Wilson and it's getting closer and closer to the rocks, I'm going to take that and move on. Gets back to what I always say. They don't view him the way he views him. Somebody else views him the way he views him. That someone else is going to make an offer that the Seahawks will say, hell yeah, we'll take that. Three first-round picks, maybe more, maybe some players, whatever the case may be. I, I, I just feel like it's inevitable, and it makes sense to do it now and not have it hover over the team for the entire 21 season real quickly going deep your thoughts on Juju Smith-Schuster or Zach Ertz to Baltimore Shireen well I think they need some help Mike this is a, an offense that the receiving core ranked last in every category they've got to get some wide outs however they do that Willie Sneed's a free agent Des Bryan coming back Hollywood Brown has been okay but he hasn't been great so they've got to improve at that position however they do it Mike Good luck convincing free agents to play receiver or well, tight ends different. You're going to get the ball if you're a tight end. Ertz may want it. Receivers, you got to bring the money because you're not going to be bringing the footballs in their direction. That's the challenge for the Ravens. Let's take a break. We'll wrap things up right after this. Okay, I'm still learning this whole concept of digital value and NFT. I think those are the three letters. I think I got them in the right order. Jack Dorsey selling his initial tweet for $2.5 million. Shereen, I would pay a significant amount, not $2.5 million, for the original digital version of you body bagging Baker Mayfield <laughs> early last year after the week one blowout loss to the Ravens. Baker Mayfield has more career commercials than he has career wins. He later proved you wrong, but that's still a memorable tweet. It was, and let's remember one that you might have had, Mike. Oh, of Mike. course. Of course. Thank you. <laughs> yep. More than one. We got a whole series. The Jackson DeVille Chronicles. I'll sell them for $2.5 million. That's it. See you tomorrow. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs>